Hello and welcome to the second instalment in our series of Scottish Premiership season preview podcast here on Energy Sport. Yesterday we focused on the champions, but today it's all about the challengers as we take a look at whether Rangers can finally topple Celtic and put an end to their rivals' hopes of 10 in a row. My name is Sean McGill and I'm delighted to be joined by Jordan Campbell, Rangers correspondent for The Athletic. Jordan, thank you very much for taking the time to come on today. How are you? No, I'm good, thanks, mate. Um, Cheers for inviting me on. No bother at all. I'm sure a lot of Rangers fans and Scottish football fans in general enjoy your work on The Athletic, but do you want to sort of explain exactly what it is you do over there? Because it's not your typical sort of match reports and transfer rumours, is it? Uh, Well, sure. I suppose we're, you know, don't want to make ourselves sound like uh, (laughs) a few different, but I I suppose we just try and offer an alternative to to what else is out there. Um, So... You know, we've got a report off for every single Premier League team down in England and then the major teams in the Championship. And then up in Scotland, we've got a Celtic correspondent and I'm the Rangers correspondent. So I guess my job is, you know, to produce feature articles, um, you know, usually about four a week, um, which, you know, covers basically all bases. So uh, as you said, though, we don't tend to do like press conference stuff or or match, traditional match reports, so it might be a bit more analytical, focused on tactics, or we might do, you know, quite in-depth backgrounders on players, um, so that that sort of thing, and just trying to think outside the box and come up with some different different ideas. Um, so I, that's essentially my job is just to cover Rangers. So um, that was my first season last year covering the club. So. Uh, I turn up in the scene and a pandemic happens, so <laughs> aye, maybe I'm just a bad luck charm, but uh, aye, hopefully next season's a bit more smooth. Um, How much do you enjoy doing it from that sort of angle, sort of getting to, to dig deep into sort of different issues? Aye, well, I mean, it's like, you know, it's basically the dream job for me, essentially. Like, I was at Sky Sports News for, for a year and um, after I graduated, so... Um, I when I got when I got offered the job, it was just like you know, couldn't really handpick it better. <laughs> you know, if it was like feature writing, and then um, the fact there's a bit Rangers was a bonus. Um, but no, it's like it's allowed me to do brilliant things. I think in the in the year, I think it'll be a year next week since I joined, so or since it launched actually, um, which feels like a lifetime ago, but also feels like ten minutes ago. Um, mm. So I get into like. Getting to like go and travel and meet George Hadji and spend a day with him, like is like a sort of studio experience. And then, um, like the first big thing I did was like when Fernando Rickson passed away, like getting like flying over there and the same day and meeting his family just by chance. That was, um, but things like that are like just you wouldn't really get to do that in most of my jobs. So, um, no, I count myself lucky in that regard. Yeah, an example of sort of the different work that. The Athletic does is maybe the post you uh, put up this morning. I just caught it when I was having my breakfast about um, the backlash from uh, a certain section of Rangers fans after uh, the players took the knee in support of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, last week in their friendlies in France. Um, obviously, it's important to stress that it's just a minority of Rangers fans, even though, like you said in the piece, it's impossible to gauge exactly how big the, the scale of that is. Uh, what did you make of that whole situation last week, and how do you feel about the clubs gone about uh, dealing with it? Right, well, I mean, I found like how divisive it was and how toxic some of the the comments were. Like, I think you find that when you if you look through all the UK teams, most of them the comments are very you know very mixed. 
Um, I don't think it's anything specific to one club. Um, maybe some clubs got a bigger problem than others, but it's hard to really gauge that online. Um, so, I, on one hand, I just found it really disheartening the fact that Rangers have got a team of five or six black players who usually start most games, yet people still find it impossible or, or decide they, they don't want to support them for whatever reason that is. Um, I find that just disheartening considering it's a worldwide movement and it's pretty obvious that it's just an anti-racism campaign. You know, I think people are trying to come up with idea, come up with reasons to, right. so they can't support it. Um, so I find that pretty difficult to accept. Um, but I guess the, the, encourage, there's another, the other side of that is it is encouraging how many how many fans were supportive of it and how many fans actually were not accepting the, the other side of the support who who were being a bit negative um, and they were actually trying to clamp down on it and try to, try to basically self-police their own support because I think that's the only way it's going to change really. If, you know, the club, it's a year today since the club launched the Everyone Anyone campaign and I was looking through February, I think I intended like, the, the press conference where they were launching the, the fan charter and I think the 8th it was it was like the eight, 13 pledges, I think, that every Rangers fan should, you know, sign up for. Um, I think the eighth one was to be an ally of anyone who experiences prejudice. So, you know, I, I think you've seen in the last week that some people, there's still a bit, society's still got a bit, of, a bit, uh, bit more progress to, to, to see happen before that um, that's realised. But I think the club statement on on Monday, like, you know, said there's no place for these people. Um, so I think today, I I know you'll see, you'll probably see Rangers announce a couple of more things and, you know, double down on um, anti-discrimination when it's sectarianism as well, any any sort of prejudice. But I think it is important that the club isn't cowed and they're not cowed by these this section of the fans and they feel that they can come out and say Black Lives Matter because I don't think it is a controversial statement to make. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we get on to the upcoming season, I'd like to quickly take a look back at last year. It sounds a bit cliched, but it really did seem like a season of two halves for yeah. the Rangers last year. Uh, domestically, that is. For the second season in a row, they just seemed to completely fall away after that winter break, um, even though they had that fantastic performance and won at Parkhead just before the new year. How do you look back on last season? Where do you think it all sort of went wrong in that second half? I well, I mean, I think everybody's sort of still trying to, you know, go through the the wreckage and find, you know, a silver bullet um, to explain what happened. But I don't really think there is one. I don't think there's one thing that brought it all down. I don't think it was, you know, Morelos being at a fall. I don't think it was. Uh, there was no fall in it. I don't think it was Dubai. Like, um, I think like people, you know, we asked you, asked Gerard about it. I think. Can't remember what game it was after the break, but Rangers looked really sluggish, basically. And I know I did a lot of running drills in Dubai, but you know they've got a top medical team there with full of boys that have came from Liverpool, so um, you know <laughs> they know what they're doing. So um, no, I think they they maintain that the running output was the same. So I don't think it's a case of that. I think probably what didn't help Rangers is that they got a lot of injuries. Um, I think they got four or five calf injuries soon after, um, soon after they returned. Um, so I don't think that helped that Barisic and Tavernier were never really fit at the same time for quite a, a period. Morelos obviously missed the first games back after his suspension with Celt uh, the Celtic game. 
Uh, Ryan Jack was out as well. So, like, I, I think when you take Morelos or you take one of the, the fullbacks at the team, like, they are so crucial to how the team play that when you are bringing in John Flanagan or Matt Polster or Andy Halliday or Jermaine Defoe, the, the profile is so different that the team never really adapted and we're still trying to play. You know, I don't, the team are not so naive and, you know, the coaching staff are obviously aware that different players need different, you know, different styles. So, you know, they did tweak things, but I still felt like at times it wasn't, it wasn't quite enough of a difference. So I think that was a big problem. But um, I think basically it, if you look at the stats, like it comes down to the fact that Rangers stopped taking their chances and Celtic start to take more chances. <laughs> like if you look at the, um, don't want to go all stats popping on you, but um, if you look at like the expected goals or even like conversion conversion rate, so essentially just taking how many chances did you take, how many quality chances were you making? Rangers were still making quality chances, but I think after the break, the conversion rate went down to below eight percent. So, I mean, if you're only taking say seven percent of your chances, then you're going to be struggling and. Um, I think Celtic shot up to like 18, 19%. Like if you even just look at Morelos, he never scored the league goal in like 11 or 12 games after the break. So when when your striker's obviously struggling for form and, you know, he wasn't quite holding the ball up as, as well enough. But, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on uh, around around them with, with football. So, um, you know, I think all of that, all of that really combined. And um, I think Rangers just struggled to find find any solutions or a way out yeah, and, and another thing that sort of dominates the discussion about Rangers is that their tactical shape and a lot of fans seem to be unhappy with Gerard sticking with that sort of Christmas tree shape, the 4-3-3 or 4-3-2-1. Um, from what they played in France, do you think there's any sort of tweaks to that? Do you think they'll be looking to change that at all, try and get the best out of Hadji at all? I well, I like I know four three two one like two number tens like I, I hear the two things going like when I wake up in the morning the first two <laughs> things I think of it. But I mean I think there is a bit too much made of formations like football's no simplistic as let's go four four two or four three three and suddenly everything's going to change you know like right. and I think that's what the, the coaches maybe get frustrated but I think you know they're coming from a, a different sort of culture at, at Liverpool and English football where, you know, maybe that style of football is more accepted, whereas Rangers, I still think there is a, an appetite for four four two direct football. Um, and I, I, I don't see, I don't see there being, you know, this massive ripping up of the, the blueprint and, you know, massive changes to the style of play. Like, I think Rangers maintained that they do tweak things game to game. So sometimes it might be Kent and Hadji and Aaron and, other times it might be Kent plays it wide and uh, there's only one of them gives width and one of them stays central and then you have the full back sort of um, sort of one high and one, one staying back a bit, a bit. but I, I think if you looked at the the Leon and the uh, and the, the, the Nice game then I know it's a couple of things so I think Joe Rebo, um I speak about him yesterday in another podcast I did um, I, th- I think Joe Rebo had a good like a more than decent season. I thought he had a good season. Um but like I think he could be a top player. Um it's just about getting the best of him and getting him into the right positions because I mean he's when you look at him he's you know six foot two, three, he's he's quick across the ground. He's got 
he's a powerful boy. He's not scared to put his body out, and he's got quick feet as well when he's running with the ball. So you know he's got he's got everything, and um, I think in in the Premier League, uh, the Premiership, sorry, um, he receives the ball like I think the fourth most the fourth uh, most amount of times any player. So if you can get make him more efficient, then I think he's a big player for Rangers, and and you've seen him. He was back playing in midfield in those two friendly games rather than playing off the right where he moved for a few months. Um, but like Rangers, one of the biggest gripes I have with him is that Davis, Kamara, Jack are all pretty similar players. Like, you know, Jack, Jack sort of transformed himself a bit, but he's still not somebody you would you would still say is like a, a great passer or somebody who's going to open up teams. So um, they've tended to play like a bit like Liverpool with that sort of like functional three where the, the three of them play in a line and. You know, there's no many people getting in front of the ball. Um, they leave it to the, the fullbacks and the, and the two behind the striker. But I feel like there's too many, too much of the plays in front of the in front of the opposition defence. Um, so I think I, I saw a difference where Rebo was playing a lot higher up. Sometimes it was actually three of them. I don't know if you watch three fault three number tens, but that that's what it felt like at times. Um, that's what it looked like at times. Um, or even sometimes when he was going up, Kent was maintaining the woods and it was becoming a two midfield. So um, I think you might see a rebo sort of change that dynamic midfield. Um, and then Hadji as well looked to be to be picking up the ball in a lot more uh, central positions because I think when he's when he's been picking it up on the right, he's been struggling to really influence it. Um, so again, he gets trapped against the touchline in, in Scotland when it's pretty intense. Like I think he maybe struggles. I know obviously he'll have a he'll have pre-season under his belt this time and um, you know he'll be used to the, the style of play but last season sometimes especially away games he struggled to get into games um, so I think he is somebody you need to try and get in the middle and turn facing your defence because when he is in those positions he can pick those passes as, he, as he's shown Do that needs to be the focus for Gerard this time round is to make sure that Rangers can break down teams with a low block because in Europe they're fantastic against these sort of uh, when they're sort of in that position, when they're soaking up the pressure. But, in, like you said, in the Premiership, particularly away from home, they do seem to struggle with that from time to time. I know, definitely. I think that's the... It's sort of weird dichotomy. Like, Rangers look, in Europe, a really, really sophisticated, like, top-level team. They, they can handle it. They can... If the game's open, they, they can keep the ball. They can play on the counter. Like, that's... The Rangers, to me, are at their best when they're on the counter. Like, they count they're a, they're a very good European side. Um, but I think you look at you look at the shape at a possession, it's like clockwork the the way that the midfield sort of shifts over and it's a sort of it's an unusual setup where the, the wingers don't press the full backs, you know, but it works in Europe and you know, that's why they've shut out teams like Porto and Braga. Um but I think if you ask any Rangers fan, would they rather you know, for example, if you had to and it's not it's not a like either or situation but if you had to get knocked out of Europe in the qualifying rounds this year, if it allowed you to be a better team in terms of not playing your Portuguese champions, but in terms of playing Hamilton and St Mirren and Kilmarnock, would you take that? And I think most of them would rather Rangers were a better side when it came to breaking down 10 men than it was counter-attacking against um, against the top side. So, no, I definitely think that's that's been the same situation for years now, though, is that Rangers... You know, that's their Achilles heel is that they still seem to struggle um, when, when when there's no space in behind. And I think that still comes back to the recruitment. Um, like last summer, I think the summer window really let them down in terms of 
um, the, the players they brought in, you know, Jordan Jones, Brandon Barker, Jake Hasty, Greg Stewart, Shea Ojo. Like, you wouldn't really look at any of them and say they, they were a success last year. Um, obviously, Ojo's away back and Hasty's away out on loan. Um, but the others, like Barker, like people still maintain that, you know, in training, he's he's a, 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 like electric in terms of like his pace across the ground and you know his confidence. But I think the problem's been for him, even at Preston and other teams, is how do you get him to believe in himself and how do you get him to to produce that when it comes to the games? Because um, there's like a line of thinking that if it was close to those games, he would actually come alive. And I think you've seen that. Um, you've seen that in the, one of the friendlies when he, the Nice game when he came on. Um, you know he's frightening for that. 20, 30 minutes with the pace, but again, how many times do you get those positions in Scotland? You don't really get to counter-attack at all, so um, you know, bringing in wingers like that who rely on space and rely on, you know, the dribbling ability of 40 yards, that, you know, is there much point of bringing those players in? I don't think so, like Rangers need to, Rangers need to get better at identifying what they need and, and bringing in those players to shoot, I think. You mentioned that sort of midfield three being really similar. Do you think Steve Davis might start featuring less this time round because I think a big problem for Rangers, well, a lot of Rangers fans would say, is the the amount of times they wouldn't progress the ball in those sorts of situations. Steve Davis would pick it up from the centre half, so it would go sideways or just an easy pass forward rather than breaking the lines. So do you think there needs to be a real emphasis on changing the dynamic of that midfield? I I think I think so. Like Steve Davis is still a good player, and I'm sure he'll show that next season. Because I mean, for the first six months of the season. He was arguably one of the Rangers' best players. Um, you know, he brought that sort of control and composure. Um, but I think after after the uh, the winter break, whether it was a case of like too many games for him, but you know everybody sort of struggled, so it's hard to read too much into that. But um, he did look slightly slightly jaded, um, and I don't think Gerard don't know himself when he when he was sort of phased up by um, by Brendan Rodgers that you know it's not an easy thing to handle, but um, I'm sure Davis understands that he's getting to an age now where he can't play every game. Like you seen Gerard try to rest him at some at times last season, and Jack Jack stepped back one and, and was was more than was more than accomplished in that role. Um, but that's that is an area where I think Rangers need to bring in somebody, um, whether it's Zungu for the Amiens or whether it's somebody else. Um, I think that sort of number number six player who um, can play forward quickly and can find Hadji and Kent. In those spaces, um, I think as much as people talk about Rangers needing goals for attacking, for attacking areas and and getting better at, at breaking teams down, like if you don't have the supply chain, then you know you can cry about that all you like. You need people to to, to get the ball to them in the first place, and I think that they need somebody with a bit. They need a playmaker in there, um, but obviously in Scotland, you you can't you can't have somebody who's going to only be able to do one side of the game. Otherwise, they'll be targeted. So. Um, I, I think they need a balance between somebody who is quick at playing through the lines and is a positive sort of passer of the ball and somebody who also can offer that like defensive protection as well. Just a last point on the midfield. Uh, obviously, we said it's quite congested, but Greg Doherty and Robin McCrory have both come back after their loan spells last season. Do you think there's any chance that they could feature for Rangers this year or can they expect to be shipped out again? Uh, I mean, I think it's... Probably unlikely. Um, like I think, um, 
you know, McCrory was sent out to Portsmouth uh, last season with the aim of, you know, coming back as a as a, a holding midfielder who was who was more rounded. Um, but you know, I think when 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 Gerard came in, um, the thinking was that they needed a, a destroyer in that in that midfield, and that's why you saw Kula Bahali come in. But then that never really worked out with his injury and he lost form. Um, then McCrory stepped in, but then obviously they changed the, the profile player they wanted in there. Um, I think Michael Beale spoke about that when he said they brought in Davis and wanted a bit more control. So, um, like McCrory is, you know, he was a centre back coming through or a right back coming through. So, um, like, I don't think it comes naturally to him in terms of picking up the ball, when he's back to go and, you know, starting moves. I just don't think it'll ever, it'll ever really be his natural game. So, um, whether you mean you retain him and you use him for games like I know Hearts are at the league now, but last season at Tynecastle, like I think people overemphasised the problem was that they lost the battle. Like I think that's a very easy thing to say when you don't play well is that you lost the battle. Like well, don't get into a battle and play your own, play your own game. But I think when games become fragmented and teams are chopping at the bit and trying to break up the game, then that is where he comes in. He's He's old and he can be useful in those games, but because um, he is a, such an athletic and powerful, powerful player, and as you, as you know, like he, he doesn't shock the tackle. So, um, but it's just about how many games is he useful for? Because if you've got seventy percent possession, is he adding anything to you being in your midfield? I, I'd probably say there's better options there. Um, I think Docker as well done well at Hibs, um, but um, and he done well at Shrewsbury the year before that as well. So. Um, they're obviously two massive Rangers fans and we'd love to be part of the plans. But, um, you know, I don't, no, I don't think there's ever going to be a case where the, the two of them don't, you know, 100% give their all and, and try and convince them. But I think, you know, sometimes managers just like certain players for certain roles and they might just fit the unlucky that, you know, they, they, they might not suit at this point in time. Um, but I, I think McCrory especially maybe needs to try and find what, what his position is now because he was playing right back most of the time at Portsmouth so um, you know I, I don't think he's going to come in and you know block the path for Nathan Parson who, who was lined up as number two for Tavernier so um, he is at that age now where you just hope that he can he can settle in a fixed position because going through your whole career being a utility player is going to end up like could potentially hold you back. Um, so while it is an advantage at times, it might also make life life difficult for you if you if you're sort of junted a bit um, that often. You mentioned the possibility of uh, him being used in defence there. Do you think that Rangers will be still looking to bring in defensive reinforcements, especially after the injury of Nikola Katic looks like it's going to be out for at least sort of half the season? Yeah, um, I think Rangers could probably do a, a left-sided centre half. Um, and that is something that you know they might bring in. Um, no, I know they, I know you could argue that they've got four or five or even six options, but you know, it, even when Catholic wasn't injured, I was still a bit unsure of whether I thought they needed to improve that area because it's a strange one actually because Rangers only conceded 19 goals in the league, which was the exact same as Celtic. So, and I think after the break, you saw the problem was that. It was actually going the other way in terms of creativity and taking chances. So, I think the the individual errors that Goldson made and Tavernier made and uh, Kamara made, like just three off the top of my head, like it was sort of strange how often these things were happening. Um, 
but that's no sense of something that's a structural problem. That's just a loss of concentration or like stress for the situation getting to the players. So I don't think you look at the, the defence and think there's anything majorly wrong with it. Like if Hollander and Goldson can stay fit, I think they showed last season that during October, November, and they played they played together for you know nearly two months. Where I thought they were a really good partnership and they really complemented each other. Um, obviously, Hollander's got his certain weaknesses and he's quite quite slow in the turn. And like Dyke showed a couple, showed one game that you know if, if you rough him up a bit, it, it maybe takes a while to get used to it. But I, I never thought he looked too flustered. Um, he's one of those players who reads the game and doesn't really need to be that quick. Um, I thought he complemented well with. Um, he complimented Goldson well. Um, it always felt like Goldson and Cathy, which was a bit of a fight. Like, it felt like they were contesting against each other. Um, see who was the dominant one. But um, I had my reservations about Cathy in terms of how, whether he was too rash. And, you know, he's, he's brilliant in the air and, you know, he's quick across the ground. But whether, um, whether he, you know, he could learn to step back when he needs to rather than try to commit for everything. Um, so I think that's the one thing he had to learn, but it's a shame as to how much work he put in. Because uh, I mean, like the guy lives and breathes twenty football twenty four seven, like about a gym in his own house. Like he just speaks about, like if you ask him about how his life is, apparently he just says, "Oh well, I didn't play at the weekend." Like that really affects him not playing. So um, it's a shame that that's sort of been taken away from him when he would have been hoping to to get back in the team. Um, but I suppose it's a big opportunity for George Edmondson because. He played the last was it five or six games, I think, last season. Um, after he did really well in Braga, so I think again, I think again, like I did a piece in Edinson last week, which was about how he nearly released by Olden when he was he was eighteen. Um, he actually didn't think he was big enough, which <laughs> which is funny for somebody who's called the bridge, you know. But um, I he uh, like he, what everybody says is that his best attribute is being on the ball, um, and I think that is the profile player that Reigns are lacking. Um, like Christopher Iyer at Celtic is always a comparison I make but well defensively I still think he's probably got his frailties to, if he goes into the Premier League like, uh, on the ball though when you've got 70% of possession like, the, the spare man is always a centre half and they've got the ball so why would you not try and utilise that because arguably you know on the ball you know how important is a defender's distribution how important is that compared to the defensive skills when most of the time they're not actually being put under pressure. Um, so I suppose you've got to weigh that up, and that was something the, the recruitment team are, are obviously weighing up. But um, I, I think a ball-playing centre-half who can drive out with the ball and commit teams, or who can play those passes that I was talking about in terms of like Davis, you know, playing it a bit quicker into the, into the midfielders. If you can skip the midfielders, play it into the strikers' feet, like, I think that could be a big, a big um, benefit. But whether Edmondson is good enough for the ball to his feet is another matter. Um, so I think... In the Nice game, especially during the week, like there was maybe five or six times where I knew he should be credited with the fact that he was trying to be brave and trying to play these nice, cute passes. But you know, obviously there's a there's a balance where you need to pick the right times, and there was there was a few times he nearly cost the goal, um, or left like forty yards of space behind him. So um, obviously he'll, he'll get better with time, and he's definitely improving. So I wouldn't write him off, but it's just whether you're you're happy going in with Goldson, Hollander and, uh, and Edmondson because Hollander obviously had his injury problems last year with that foot injury. So, you know, not to cast aspersions on the guy's fitness because he only had really one injury, but, you know, he's got a knock just now. So, is he, uh, you know, are you happy going in with, with those three? Because if one of them gets injured, 
then Edmondson's next in line. Are you then happy with Edmondson playing the rest of the season? And then you've got the, the backup to that is then Calvin Bassey and Lewis Mayo. Now, Lewis Mayo did well for the, the 10 minutes he came on when sort of Leon were just chopping crosses and, you know, trying to break them down for the last 15 minutes. But, you know, I think it's, I think the fans fall into that trap of saying any academy player is automatically good enough. They should automatically be given a chance. Like, I seen a lot of the development squad last year and like Mayo, a lot of the time I seen Mayo play, was playing actually holding midfield. Um, so he is clearly, clearly like comfortable on the ball, but um, I, I think he's probably somebody that I would say needs another loan before I would say he was ready. But he's definitely got got potential, and I think you saw you, you saw that how how brave he is in the air, and he's actually quite a good reader of the ball. But like Bassi's never played a senior game either, and he was predominantly a left back before he came. So um, to me, I still think you should bring in either a loan or, or somebody maybe. Maybe a Bosman that's available, um, or, or a short-term contract just to just to tie that out. Because again, you don't want to block Katic when he comes back. But um, I, I think that is a potential area of weakness. I don't think Gerard can go into the season with any sort of doubts over any area of the team. So we've spoken a lot there about sort of individual things that Rangers need to work on uh, to improve this season. But speaking more generally, what is it that? Gerard and this Rangers side need to do to sort of really challenge Celtic and try and put a stop to their ten in a row bid. Well, I mean, like if you looked at the the first half of last season, you would just say more of the same essentially. Because um, I mean, the, the form as they were going into the, the winter break was was really strong, and I don't think anybody would really envisaged them having a lot of problems against the smaller teams because Rangers and Celtic were just racking up points. I, I think probably this season you. I, I imagine you'll see a pretty similar start for both teams. I think they'll pro- probably both come quickly at the box. And um, I, I think for Rangers, the, the test for them is that we know Celtic won't relent. Like, you know, you know they'll keep going because they've been there and done it. It's second nature to them to get, just rack up the victories. Like if Rain, can Rangers put together a, a massive run? I think that's the, the big test for them, whether they can... They can keep their cool under that pressure, and again, like this, this might help them actually in a way that there's there's no crowds for the first however X amount of months. So that actually might help them um, in terms of getting over the, the end of last season and completely getting out of their minds. Um, but I think when the crowds are back and when the pressure's on, can they keep playing their own game? Can they, or or, or does it force them to become too sort of haphazard and, and rush their thoughts too much? Because I, I think. It did seem like the team was stressed last year. Um, just when, when as soon as they lost at Tynecastle, it felt like there was a sort of like massive pressure on their shoulders, which was really stopping them from expressing themselves. Um, and they just didn't look themselves. So I think that's, I know that's a sort of intangible that you can't really measure, but you know, there are big things in football about how you deal with pressure and how it affects your confidence. So aside for the actual football, I'd say that's the biggest test in terms of mentality. Um, so I don't think that a lot of Rangers fans make it as if it's like, oh, they just never wanted it after the break. Like You're not telling me these play- professional players who are still in Europe, having come through two rounds of qu- four rounds of qualifying two years in a row and beaten Celtic, you know, three or four times. You're not telling me that they they don't get, get give everything. Of course they're. It's just you know it's a very simplistic argument to make that whoever wants it more wins. That's not always the case. Like. I don't think there's any lack of lack of effort for the players. I think it's just a maybe you know maybe some characters struggle with the pressure, and obviously that needs to change. But 
Um, I think people think it's easier than it is for, for these players because at the end of the day, they're human nature and there's a lot of pressure on them. Uh, what's your gut feeling then? Do you think that Rangers can really challenge? I'm sure you don't want to jinx it, but uh, <laughs> do you think they can give it a proper goal this time round? Do you think that mentality issue can be sorted? I well, I mean, if you'd asked me this in, in January, I'd have told you that I think I think, I think Rangers are probably um, I the the real deal this season, and I think it'll go down to the wire. So um, if you if you ask me right now, without Rangers bringing in anybody, I know they've brought in Hadji and Bassi and McLaughlin, but without really bringing anybody else um, who's going to come into the first team and the starting the living, I would say maybe slightly short. I would say probably a player, an attacking player short. Um, and depends, so dependent on Morelos as well, whether Morelos stays or whether you know he goes and they reinvest that money. So um, I've said for a while that I think, you know, if you, if you, if you sell Morelos and you reinvest that money in three or four positions, on top quality players for, for Scotland level, then that could be the thing that potentially wins you the league. But it is obviously a big risk and you need your recruitment team need to be confident that they they can get it right. So that's going to be a big um factor this summer. Um but I still think a, a midfielder, um another striker to back up Morelos or a replacement and then another player for that sort of Hadji Kent role, I think who who can bring guaranteed goals because I think that when you look at Rangers I don't think they're any worse. I think arguably a better set football inside than Celtic. I think they probably are. But you look at Celtic's firepower and you don't really have any worries about it. You look at Rangers and you think, Morelos will get you 10 goals. Defoe will get you double figures. But who else will? Um, you know, Hadji, Hadji looks like he's going to, he, he could improve in that department. Kent, obviously, he got seven last year, but he still, he still lacks that end product. And I think, just to go back to Joe Arrivo again, like to me, I think Joe Arrivo could be massive this year in terms of taking Rangers to the next level. Because um, a lot, I mean, no other progress comes from bringing in players outside the team. Sometimes it's just about coaching the same players and making them get better all the time. Because if you look at that, he's 20, he just turned 24 yesterday. Hadji's 21, Morelos 24, Kent's 23, 24. Like, that's a good age group to have those four players. Um, and that's what Rangers should be going for. So I think there's got to be a bit of patience, but if they can get those players to the same numbers as your your Forrest, Edward, Griffiths, Elanusi, Christie, like McGregor, they Rogic, like you could, you get five or six names there who season in, season out, reach there there or thereabouts, double figures. Um so I think that's a big thing for, for Rangers to, to make sure they've got enough firepower that they're not overly overly reliant on on Morelos or any other player. John, thanks very much for joining me. That was really interesting. Have you got anything you want to plug or let people know where they can find you on social media, stuff like that? Well, I think uh, I think people have had enough of me pl- plugging for the last <laughs> um, I bet, No, I, um, I'd say, well, I did that racism piece this morning, um, so I suppose that's pretty topical and people will have their, their opinions on that. Um, but I thought it was important to cover that and be Definitely. honest about, about the problem. Um, and the range of support and across society, um, but I, I mean, probably a couple of bigger things I've done recently was um, who really is Alfredo Morelos, a sort of um, life story of him, which get made into a, a TIFO video. So if you don't want brilliant, to pay, brilliant. Like, I really enjoyed it. If you don't want to pay for it, you can uh, you can watch <laughs> it on there. Um, but I, apart from that, like um, maybe a Michael Beale piece or or um, Hadji interview or whatever. So I, oh, actually, Jermaine Defoe masterclass. That's the best thing I've done. But 
Um, aye, that's enough plug-in for me. So. Well, if folk know where they can find you on social media and stuff like that, in case they... Aye, sorry, aye, my Twitter is um, at JordanC1107, so you can find all my rubbish that I thought there. Brilliant. Well, again, thanks very much for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe to Energy Sport wherever you get your podcasts or the rest of our season preview series, as well as our other great shows appear straight on your feed. You can follow us on Twitter at ENRG Sport or visit the website energysport.net to keep up with the latest from our fantastic team of writers and podcasters. Thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again soon. Cheers.